Happy 2022. I don't know how old you are, but I thought by now we'd have flying cars and automated everything. We have automated everything, but nothing's automated. Like we're automated, but our lives are all still in chaos anyway. I grew up watching the Jetsons, so I thought I would be George Jetson by now. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. You saw those announcements. Um, got some really good stuff. You'll see this. You know, New Year's is a great chance to kind of draw a line in the sand and move forward from one direction to another. And for a lot of you guys, maybe you're going the right direction. Maybe for some of you, you need a little infusion spiritually. Our job as a church, we're in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 church. My job as a pastor, our elders, our team is to equip you to follow Jesus and do the work and the ministry of Jesus. So some things we have to help you is we have a Bible reading plan we're going to use across the board. We're going to talk about it at the end of this message. Across the board, it's designed for very busy people. I read the Bible in a year, Toy reads it, we all uh, try to push that, but we realize some of you guys are so busy, and it's such a big step, that this is a smaller step, it's usually one to two chapters a day, it's the 260 or 270 main scriptures in the Bible that a disciple needs to walk with Jesus. Uh, it is on our app, it is on the YouVersion Bible app, we have paper versions you got, that'll help you start your year, if you can do anything, get in God's Word. As you eat God's word, God will fill you to overflow and give you the wisdom you need to walk. Secondly, Essentials will talk about prayer and fasting conference or prayer and fasting January 24th to 28th. This is just five days. We normally do 21 days a couple times a year. We're breaking that up into five-day segments before major things. So this is going right into the Awakening Conference. We're going to be praying into that, but also praying into year 2022. So make sure you're involved with that and in the Awakening Conference coming up. If your Bible's turned to Luke chapter 10, as we start this Power of One series. So I don't know about you, but I hate New Year's Eve. I think it's the dumbest holiday of all holidays. Uh, some of that is because I'm old and I like go to bed at about 10 p.m. Toy jokes a couple years ago, Ohio State and Alabama playing in the National Championship of College Playoff. It was on New Year's Eve. Well, it was on a Saturday night. We had a ton of people at the house. It got to be 10 o'clock. Game's still going on. I just disappeared and go to bed. Toy said, babe, that's so rude. We have all these people over the house. I said, it's rude they're still here past my bedtime. Like, I hate New Year's Eve. Like, it's the dumbest holiday. We ended up driving to Nashville. Uh, Aaron and Amanda Kravitz, Restoring Hope Church in Nashville, uh, had a huge New Year's Eve uh, worship service. We went to be a part of that. And I'm like, I'm still not caught up on sleep. I hate New Year's Eve. And I think it goes back to New Year's Eve 1999. How many of y'all remember that? Raise your hand. If you don't, the person next to you, if they didn't raise their hand, spank them because they're not an adult yet. Just go ahead and spank them. They, they need it for something. I was in basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in 1999. And if you know anything about 1999, everyone said, Y2K, the world is going to end because the calendar can't flip from two nines to two zeros. So it's like, I'm in basic training. I've been in basic through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, and now the end of the world, we're sitting in a room waiting for the world to stop at midnight. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. Some of y'all are probably crazy. You're preppers. You had canned goods for 15 years available. I'm in basic training thinking, this is, this, is how, this is how I go out. In a room full of 50 dudes, never getting to enjoy life. And I remember staying there. We watched the ball drop. And when it hit midnight, guess what happened? Nothing. You know, I, I saw people on social media all week long, all New Year's Eve long, thinking 2021 is over, 2022 is going to be the greatest year ever, and the ball dropped. You know what changed? Absolutely nothing. 
The only thing that changes at midnight on New Year's Eve is the date and new opportunities. No guarantees, nothing that makes sure everybody starts doing New Year's resolutions. You know why? Because we think that this brand new chapter means changes are going to take place. Nothing changes unless you change it. And New Year's resolutions are this big ploy just to distract you from all the chaos. Stephen Covey in his book, The One Main Thing, I think is the name of it, he talks about if there was one thing you could do in business or in leadership, one thing that could change everything else, one major thing, one thing you can focus on, that if you focus on this one thing, it affects every other thing, what would that be? Spiritually, you can say, what's, what's the one thing that if, if you did this one thing, it would affect your marriage better, your family better, your, your peace better, your mind better, your health better, your life better, your job better, your dreams better, your purpose. What's this one thing that if I just did this one thing, it would affect every other area of my life? See, at New Year's Eve, we focus on all these things, all these New Year's resolutions. I want to quit doing this, start doing this. I want to eat better. I want to, I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to read this many books. I want, we, there's so many. What's the one thing? If you do this one thing, it affects every other thing. In the scripture today, in Luke chapter 10, we're going to walk through this, but this one thing is this simple. Learning to devote your heart and your life to the presence and word of Jesus. And if you can learn the one thing, it changes and affects every other thing in your life. We get so distracted by the many things, we lose sight of the one thing. In Luke chapter 10, it says this. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha. Everybody say Martha. Martha. Always reminds me of the Brady Bunch, but it's not Marcia, it's Martha. Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. I, I want to circle. If you have your Bibles, I want you to get your pen out. I want you to circle. Wrong thing. I've got so many devices. I don't even have my pen. There it is. I want you to circle. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Here is Mary. She's literally, that is the, the spirit of God, his presence, and his teaching, his word. She devoted herself to sit in the presence of Jesus and to listen to his word, to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching, to sit there and listen, to sit in his presence, prayer and Bible, word and spirit, teaching and worship. She sat there while everybody else was doing something different. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, she chose the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this year that has new opportunities in front of us. And Father, I just pray for a spirit of wisdom upon your people to choose the one thing that makes a difference in every other thing. 
I pray for discipline and courage and boldness to step into the one thing when the world is pulling in a thousand different directions. I pray for a heart that's devoted to you and your purposes. I pray for a mind that is hungry for your word and a spirit that is thirsty for your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you illuminate it, bring it to our minds, let it change us and transform us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So the scenario is Jesus shows up in this house Martha's there. She welcomes Jesus in. She gets busy setting the table. Martha's sitting with Jesus. Martha gets frustrated because there's work to be done, but instead of working, Mary's not working at setting the table. She's sitting at the table. And as she's sitting at the table, she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, hearing his teaching, and Martha gets mad because there's so much to do. She gets mad and she says, whoa, whoa. Why, why, you need to say something to her, Jesus. You need to tell her to come help me because I got all this stuff on. And what does he say? You are anxious and troubled about so many things. But one thing is necessary. If I could, if I could describe the church in a couple of words, it would be anxious, troubled with many things. Why? Because she is distracted with so many things. I will tell you, your level of anxiety and your level of trouble is directly proportionate to how distracted you are from the feet of Jesus. We spend so much time, and, I, and I've done preaching on anxiety, exchange your thoughts for his thoughts, but it comes down to this. If you're distracted by so many, it's no wonder that our culture is such an anxious culture. I can go to Haiti, I can go to third world countries. There's no big anxiety pandemic. Even though they could be worried about what to eat tomorrow, worried about their kids, worried about education, worried about all these things. They have tons to be worried about, but they're not worried about it. But here we are with our, our phones, our devices, all this thing. We're so distracted, which leads to our anxiety and our trouble. Martha was literally in the presence of Jesus. Hearing the word being taught, but when God walked into the room, she was so distracted she didn't recognize it. And what happens is when you don't realize my level of distraction is going to correlate with my level of anxiety, you can help, maybe not all of your anxiety, but you can help deal with your anxiety by getting rid of the distractions and focusing on the feet of Jesus. Martha, Martha, you're troubled with so many things. And what was she doing? She was serving. That's a good thing. But he says, no, she's chosen the good portion. Which doesn't mean it's the only portion. It just means it's the best portion. I mean, there's a time for serving. But there's a time for sitting and resting in the presence of God. See, it's not Mary versus Martha. It's Mary before Martha. You can't have Martha moments of serving until you have Mary encounters with Jesus. Daniel eleven thirty two. 32, one of my favorite scriptures, some of you old heads will know this in the King James, those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. My terminology for that is know, be, do. We live in a culture, we just try to do. I need to do the thing. I, it's New Year's. I need, to, I need to change. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to change this. And Mary said, no, I'm not going to try to do all those things until I know him intimately. I'm not going to be who I'm called to be. 
until I'm called to be who I'm walking in my, my identity, then I can't do the thing. We try to do the things and skip the knowing him, to skip the being. Those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You need to spend more time knowing God and becoming who he's called you to be than trying to do all the great exploits. In a day and age of your purpose-driven life, what's your ministry, what's your calling, I don't need to know what your ministry is. I need to know how well do you know him. I didn't know, Martha, well, Jesus, I'm serving, I'm, I don't need to know what your ministry is. I didn't know how well you know the depth and intimacy of him sitting at his feet. The one thing, she chose the good, see, there's a priority. The kingdom of God has priorities. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then these things shall be added unto you. Mary discovered the secret of priorities. This one thing. That if I can do this one thing, even in the middle of all these things, if I can do this one thing, God will add all the other stuff to me. God will take care of all the other stuff around me. See, the principle is easy. This, this goes to life in every area. If you go after everything, you will get nothing. But if you go after the one thing, you will get everything. If you go after everything, chasing after every resolution, chasing after every dream, chasing after every desire, chasing after every trend or every fad, and chasing everything, you end up with nothing. But if you chase the one thing and pursue the one thing, God takes care of everything else. I heard one person say, if you chase two rabbits, you get none. You chase one rabbit, you get the rabbit. You get to choose. You want to keep chasing every distraction in your life, keep chasing every fad, every new thing, every deal, or just sit and make this the year that you devote yourself to the one thing that changes every other thing. The only thing that makes this year different is for you to choose. It says she chose the better portion. She chose the one thing. No, I think Martha gets a bad rap, but here, here's what I think is interesting. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, but she didn't sit where Mary sat. And I feel like this is not to give a bad rap to Martha, but we see Mary talked about very well over and over again in Scripture. But Martha welcomes Jesus into her house, and I think this is the spirit of religion, where religion is when we welcome Jesus into our home, but we don't devote our hearts to him, his words, and his presence. So that means, religious spirit means we, we have the facade that we welcome Jesus into our lives. Maybe you have a cross in your house. Maybe you have a Bible sitting on a coffee table. Maybe you go to a church on Sunday mornings. Maybe you try to post the right things on social media. You welcome Jesus into your world, but you don't welcome him into your heart. Jesus is sitting there with Mary. Martha welcomed him in, but Martha wasn't willing to devote or dedicate her time to sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. She missed the moment because her devotion was to serving a religion rather than walking with Jesus. You know, we can say it this way. Bible Belt Christianity is when we welcome Jesus into our culture but not into our hearts. That's why, you know, spirit-filled Pentecostal charismatic churches, whatever you want to call it, we get a bad rap because we live in a Bible about Christianity where we want just enough Jesus to, 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 to kind of give a facade that we're moral and we're reputable, but not enough to devote our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our emotions and our lives to him. 
And I think we have this Martha complex where we want to let Jesus in, but just not let him in too much. Like, how many of you growing up, your grandparents or your parents had a living room and a den? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, it's about to get good. So the den was where you actually lived life at. I don't know why they called the living room living room because nothing happened in the living room. The den was where the TV was, the couch was. The living room usually was in the front part of the house that if somebody knocked on the door and looked in the window, the living room was always clean. You know why it was always clean? You couldn't walk through there. Some of y'all had couches that were covered in plastic wrap. One of my best friends grew up, their whole living room was, if you were to be wet and come out of the shower, you would slide from one side all the way to the other. The living room, you could look in it, but you, maybe Christmas we would let somebody go in there. But it was the first room that you saw. See, the den was where you lived life at. The living room was kind of for show and, and kind of, it looked good. You had your best pictures in there, the best furniture in there, all the good stuff in there. But then you have your bedroom, you have a closet, you have your bathrooms, you have the basement, you have your attic. See, I feel like in the Bible Belt, we let Jesus into our, our lives, but only in the living room. That place when you first walk to the door, you see through that main bay window and you see it's all put together. It's immaculate. It hasn't really been touched. It's clean. It's presentable. But we don't really let Jesus into our dens where we actually do life at. We don't want him to distract us from the TV or from the iPhone or from the social media. We don't want to give him that much access. And God forbid we let him into our bedroom or our closets. See, we'll welcome him into our house, but when it comes time to sit and devote ourselves to him, we tell him, whoa, that's too much. And for some of you, you've let Jesus into that living room, but nothing's going to change in your life until you let him clean some closets out. Nothing's going to change in your life until you let him in your bedroom to start setting your life in order, to start changing things inside of you so the outside of you can come into alignment with who you're truly supposed to be. See, we have to break Bible Belt Christianity. Bible Belt Christianity is sending more people to hell than the devil's ever tried to do. He gets people to think they're saved because they ascribe to a mental tradition rather than devoting and following Jesus. And the way is narrow. The way is not wide. In order to get there, you have to follow Jesus. And here's Martha. She's sitting there while Jesus is there, and she's missing the whole point. Had a situation this week where just Bible book Christianity as a whole starts mixing things together and culture starting to mix things. And this person was asked if they're a Christian. They said, I'm a Christian and I'm Buddhist. Like, what? Like, I'm a Christian and I'm Satanist. What? Like, we live in this world where I'm a Christian because I'm a Southerner, but I also have all these other, well, I'm a Christian and I'm homosexual. Well, I'm a Christian and I'm Hindu. I'm a Christian and I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, see, we try to, that's Bible Belt Christianity. We try to ascribe to a traditional way of life, but then add our stuff to it. And what happens, it becomes carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity is when you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, but not with your life. And here's Martha saying, Jesus, come in. I want you here. But when it came time to sit with Jesus, she was off doing her own thing. 
Some of you, maybe, just maybe, you've welcomed Jesus into your life, but you have not welcomed him into your heart. You said yes to forgiveness, but no to lordship. And here is Mary sitting down. When there's so many other things, that she's sitting down, resting at the feet of Jesus. Because here's, here, here's the crux of today. If you want God's attention, if you want his attention in 2022, if you want his attention on your finances, you want his attention on your family, you want your, his attention on your marriage, if you want his attention, you better give him your full attention. Because how haughty is it for you to want God's full attention, but you don't give him your full attention? See, self-centered religion is when you think God owes you his attention. Like you, you pray once a year, thinking, God, please help me. The cops, the blue lights are on on you. You've been drinking because it's New Year's, Eve, New Year's Eve going on. And you're like, God, 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 please, like just this one time, let me pass this breathalyzer. <laughs> Pop some pennies in your mouth. Try to pass the breathalyzer. Do you really think God owes you? His ear? Or we could, we could break it down to more probably applicable. Your marriage is going to hell in a handbasket. You haven't walked with Jesus, but you expect Jesus to fix your marriage, even though you haven't fixed your relationship with Jesus. If you want God's full attention, you have to give him your attention. If you want God's eyes on your life, give him your eyes. If you want God's ears open to your words, give your ears to his word. Like it's that simple. If you truly want God's attention, if you want this year to be different than every other year, then give him your full attention, removing distractions and saying, I'm here sitting at your feet. You realize three times we see Mary mentioned in scripture, three times, and every single time she's mentioned She's mentioned sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's never once mentioned in any other posture other than sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like, how amazing would that be? That would be your eternal legacy. Bobby Gorley, he's, every time they mention his life, he was sitting in the presence of God. He was attentive to the words and teachings of Jesus. Like, every time she's mentioned, she's mentioned sitting at the feet of of Jesus. And that terminology, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is Jewish phraseology, meaning a disciple of a rabbi. So they would refer to any other rabbi and disciple as, if they were his disciples, well, they're sitting at the feet of Rabbi Bobby, or they're sitting at the, the feet of Rabbi Brian. They're sitting at, meaning they were sitting there, postured to learn and to follow the teachings of the rabbi. And so you could say, Martha was a believer and Mary was a disciple. Martha believed in Jesus, but Mary was sitting at the feet following Jesus. One understood what it took to get God's attention. One did not. And I think what Mary discovered in these three situations we see her sitting at the feet of Jesus is I think Mary discovered the love language of Jesus and began communicating to Jesus in a way Jesus could understand. Now, if you've been through premarital counseling of any sort, you've heard of the love languages from Gary Chapman, but I'm going to walk you through those. 
The five love languages are this, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving of gifts. I will go ahead and help your marriage by telling you all guys are here and all women are here for the most part. You better stop lying in church. <laughs> Men are communicated with through physical touch. Women, it may be something that receiving gifts is a stereotype. It could be receiving gifts slash quality time. Mary discovered that Jesus' love languages started with quality time, went to words of affirmation, went to physical touch, which is worship or intimacy, then acts of service, then receiving gifts. In religion, we think God's love language starts with these two. Did I tell God I love him if I do stuff for him? I tell God I love him if I give enough offering or big enough offering to him. And so religion will lie to us and tell us the way to get to God's heart is by giving him something or doing something for him. That is not a God, that is a prostitute. You cannot manipulate God into loving you more. You cannot manipulate God into giving you what you want. You cannot manipulate or, or gain God enough through doing stuff for him and giving him gifts in order to manipulate him to give you his attention. Because this is God's numero uno. The way to God's heart, the way to get God's attention is to simply spend time with him. Because as you look upon him and you behold him, will you become more like him? You become like the people you spend the most time with. And as Mary discovered this secret, that if I can just sit in the feet of Jesus and spend time with him, listen to his teachings, listen to his words, affirm him. See, this, this is everything we're trying to do in chapel. My goal is to motivate you and inspire you to devote your heart to following Jesus, not attend church. There's church models we could use that could be built on getting you to come to church and do stuff for the church. But our model here is not that model. Our model is to simply inspire you to spend quality time with Jesus following him with other believers so you get to know him, then you can worship him. Our worship services are not a seeker-sensitive movement. We want to honor God and spend time with him and affirm him as our first love. Then worshiping him through physical response. It's not truly worship till it costs you your pride. Then maybe serving, then being an usher or a greeter or kids or youth or worship or creative. Then, and then offering. We don't even give offerings a big, big spot on our platform here. Why? If I get you to spend time with Jesus, you will give him an offering. If I get you to spend time with Jesus, you will serve. If I can get your heart devoted to Jesus, everything takes care of itself. But the problem, we live in a culture of Martha's not Mary's. Where busyness is a status symbol. How many times have you ever asked somebody, hey man, how, what's going on? How are you doing? Man, I'm just busy. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, man, I'm really not that busy. I've just been spending time with God and hanging out. No, everybody's like, man, I'm just you're busy. Got this going on. Wow, we think being busy shows that we're valuable. 
We think being busy shows that we're accomplishing something. Do you know you can be busy and not accomplishing anything? You can be busy and not actually that valuable. You can be busy and not that productive. Busyness is a facade to distract you from the presence and purpose of God in your life. Martha thought she was doing the right thing. She was busy. She was troubled. She was trying to set the table for Jesus. There's a time for setting the table, but there's a more important time of sitting at the table with Jesus. And she discovered this love language. And his love language, as she discovered it, every time we see her mention, it's like God's spotlight of eternal purpose and destiny and rewards are on Mary. So you have to ask yourself, with your walk in Jesus, where do you get your rewards from? Do you get your rewards from doing things for God? Or do you get your rewards from simply spending time with him? And I think the more mature you get and the more time you spend in prayer, you realize I get more value in my heart and my life from simply sitting in an empty room with Jesus than I ever get preaching on a, in a platform full of people. Some of it is when we do things for God, we're actually doing them for the attention of people. But when you spend time with God, there's no people to get the attention from, so you're doing it for the right reason. Ministry should be an overflow of these merry moments. The Martha moments should come out of these merry moments. There's a time for Martha moments, but the time for merry moments is always. This one thing is necessary. And she discovered it, and as she discovered it, the rewards were beneficial. Real quick, the seeker's rewards. These are some of the rewards the Bible tells you you, point yourself say me, you have if you seek God. You don't get the rewards if you don't seek God. See, in this humanistic entitlement culture, we think God owes us something. No, no. You get salvation through faith alone in Jesus, but you get the rewards of the kingdom of heaven through seeking the kingdom of heaven. Number one, it says this. You get a reward of discovery. In Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I mean, when you seek God, one of the rewards is you discover new facets of God. You discover his presence more intimately, more authentically, and in a more real way. Not to mean that you don't know God but you discover new facets. God is like a diamond. Every time you, you turn, he doesn't turn, but every time you turn, you see a new glistening up, a new characteristic or new facet of him. See, maturity is when you start to discover the full picture of God rather than just the one picture you have. I was in a, when I first got saved, we were at a church that did a Tuesday morning men's devotional with a Smith Wigglesworth devotional. It was some of the most developmental time in my life spiritually and in leadership. I was the youngest guy there about 30 years. I caught the AARP meeting. They were all 65 and up. I was 25 years old, and I love being around these old guys. I remember one day we got into this debate. This guy says, you know, we just need to preach hellfire and brimstone. And da, da, da. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I think if you discover salvation for just God being God, like he is God, I'm sinful, he loves me, he wants me, he's going to send down. When you discover him as God, you get the healing. You get the salvation. 
You get the deliverance. You get the prosperity. You get the joy. You get all of it. But if you discover him just as your get-out-of-hell ticket free, that's normally all you get until you take time to discover who he truly is. Number two, the reward of goodness. Lamentations 3.35 says, the Lord is good. Everybody say good. Good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. God promises you goodness as you seek him. Like as you seek him, he's, he's pouring goodness into you. Number three is a word of deliverance. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears or anxiety. Maybe the reason Martha was so anxious is because Mary was seeking after the Lord and he had delivered her. Maybe your anxiety is because you're seeking everything else but Jesus. The word of provision, Psalm 34, 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. See, do you see, as you give God your full attention, he says, I'll give you my attention and reveal something new to you. If you give me your full attention, I'll, I'll reveal my goodness to you. I'll reveal deliverance to you. I'll reveal provision. See, there's a reward for the seeker. Reward of favor, 2 Chronicles 26, 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. You need success in your business or your marriage, your career, your college. It says, as long as you seek the Lord, God will give you success. Not because you gave an offer to somebody on TBN, Lord Jesus. Not because you prayed really hard that God would give you what you wanted. It says, as long as, as soon as you stop seeking, the reason there's moral failures in churches is because pastors and leaders start seeking God. He gives them success. When they get success, they stop seeking. One of the hardest things in the Christian world to do is keep seeking after Jesus after he's blessed you. See, the Hebrews, God blesses them, takes them out of Egypt, into the promised land. The hardest thing, there's a cycle. They, they, God blesses them, they do well, they turn to other gods, then God takes away the blessing, then they cry out to God. God, where are you at? He's like, I'm still here, you just quit looking for me. Then God blesses them, redeems them again, he blesses them, and all of a sudden he goes, one of the hardest things ever is to continue seeking God after he blesses you. We see it here as a church. We'll see people, God will do amazing things in restore, miracles, like notated miracles, and a year after the miracle, they're back serving the gods of the world. Why? It's hard to seek after God after he's blessed you, because you start seeking the blessings. Number this one, the reward of his presence, Psalms 9:10. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. He will bless you with his presence as you give him your attention. And then last but not least, the reward of blessings. Psalms 119, too. blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. I mean, there's a blessing attached to the seeker. That as you seek God like a Mary, and you make this your one thing, God blesses other areas of your life. This one thing affects every other area of your life. If you can get the distractions out and keep moving forward. It's the John 15. If you know John, the book of John, John 15 is all about abiding in Jesus. So if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. If you abide in me, you'll be fruitful. See, Mary learned to abide, not, not physically abide in Jesus, but to spiritually abide in Jesus is to sit and rest 
in his presence and let his words begin to change you from the inside out. That's abiding. And when you learn that, when you learn that there's unconditional love in God the Father, it breaks generational curses of your dad abandoning you. When you learn that God loves you for being a child, not for what you do, Martha, it gives you the courage to sit when everybody else is scattering and running around. When you learn that God cares deeply about you and who you are and what you have and your safety and your well-being, then you don't panic like the world panics when there's reason to be anxious. See, these moments of abiding transform every other thing in your life. But the only way, the only way you can make it the one thing is to get rid of all the other distractions. Because there can only be one most important thing in your life. Many things may seem important, but only one thing is actually truly important. And I know, looking across from, I know many of you have tons of responsibilities. Some of you have businesses, some of you have family, some of you have kids, grandkids, some of you have ministries. You have tons of things that seem important. But I'll tell you, the most important things in life never scream out at you until it's too late. Many things may seem important. John Wesley, in his diary, said, I have so much to do today, I must pray at least three hours. What? Like we say, I've got so much to do today, maybe I'll pray tonight when I get home. Or maybe I'll pray tomorrow. No, no. See, everything seems important. Ministry seems important. Jesus coming to your house for dinner seems important to get everything together. See, church seems important, but who cares if you come to church if you haven't sat with Jesus all week? See, it all screams. You have to learn that you can only make one thing a priority in your life at one time. And I'm telling you, if you make devoting your heart to Jesus and his presence and his words your priority, all your other priorities will fall into place. But if you don't make this your priority, something else will take its place. It'll be your career, it'll be your flesh, it'll be your family, it'll be something else. And when that thing is your one thing, everything else underneath it is cursed, not blessed. And curse doesn't mean God hates you. Curse just means God's hand is off of it. And what that means is if you say, you know, well, you know, I, Pastor, you know, you know, just one thing. I don't know if I have time for that. I don't know if I'm a Mary. I'm more of a Martha type person. Okay, that's fine. But when your career is number one, God's hand is off your marriage. And I don't know about you, but marriage is hard enough as it is. When God takes his hand off of it, it makes it ten times harder. If you make your family number one, your kids, number one. Their sports, number one. Their dance, number one. Their dating life, number one. When you make your kids your number one thing, God takes his hands off your kids. Doesn't mean he's cursed them. just means his hands off because he's letting you choose which idol you'll worship. But when you place him as the one thing, you can rest when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus knowing his hand is on your kids no matter where they may be. You can rest knowing his hand is upon your marriage. You can rest knowing his hand is upon your business. You can rest knowing his hand is upon your career. You can rest knowing his hand is upon your 401k. You can rest. Why? Because there's a blessing and a reward for those who seek after him. But it is hard. It is hard to get rid of all the other distractions and to focus on the one thing. 
And Paul said it this way. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing. Now, Paul was a bivocational pastor. He made tents. He preached. He was over churches. He wrote half the New Testament. Like, he was doing all this stuff. He said, well, there's one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind me, meaning some things need to stay in 2021, and straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing. One thing. Mary had one thing. Jesus literally had one thing to do the Father's will. Where did he learn the Father's will? By sitting with the Father. This one thing. If you were to ask an amazing athlete, they'd say, this one thing I do. Yes, LeBron James, I take care of my body and train my body. If you were to ask an amazing business person, they'd say, this one thing I do. I look for business opportunities and stay away from bad opportunities. If you were to ask a, a musician, what's this one thing I do? I train my craft. How come when you ask a disciple... What's their one thing they can't tell you? A discipleship will say, this one thing I do, I devote my heart and my life to following Jesus. What would be your one thing? What would be your one thing? If, if somebody asks you, what's your one thing? Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I do my best to be a great mom or a great dad. Man, it's one thing I do. I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm a great provider for my family. If the answer is anything other than devoting my heart and my life to sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his words, you're not a disciple. A disciple is someone who has forsaken everything to follow him. They've cast off all the other stuff, social media, worldliness, all the others to follow this young 30-something-year-old Jewish rabbi from here all the way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How do you know where heaven is? Jesus shows us. And you can't see where he's showing you unless you're following him. But it takes a choice. If there's any New Year's resolution, it's a choice to make. And Mary said this, Jesus told her, he said, she has chosen the good portion. She has chosen the good portion. It didn't just come upon her. She didn't stumble upon this one thing. She made a decision to follow him and devote herself to him. It says, this quote, I love this. It says, we make our choices, then our choices make us. No matter what anybody tells you, no matter if they're a Calvinist or Reformed, they tell you, no, 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 God is sovereign, God you, no, no, no. God is sovereign, but he gives you the free will to make some choices. And your choices will determine your destiny. Mary says, well, she's chosen a good portion. She's going to be remembered forever for what she does. She's been given this reward. I mean, there's a reward for good choices, and there's consequences for bad choices, no matter what you think in life. And she had chosen the good portion. Meaning right now, the difference between New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is the choices you'll make. God has given you a pen and a blank sheet of paper, and your choices this year will determine what's written on that paper. This year, next year, New Year's Eve, you'll be looking back, and whatever's on that paper is a byproduct and the sum of all the decisions you've been making. Mary chose the good portion. One of my favorite scriptures in Joshua says this. Now, therefore, 
Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if there's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Devotion is a matter of a decision. I try to tell my kids this all the time. People in the world have this false idea of motivation. They think, I'll commit myself to things I'm passionate about. But commitment doesn't follow passion. Passion follows commitment. When you make a choice to commit yourself to someone or something, you become passionate about it. Toya, we went to this New Year's Eve thing. So RJ's in here to get mad. But we went, so there's... My former assistant at Cornerstone is now her brother is Aaron Crabb. So Toy and her coordinated a prearranged marriage between RJ and their daughter years ago. So Toy's like, we need to get them tied, like get them together so that way they can kind of read. I'm like, well, this is weird, first of all. It's creepy. So we're there midnight, 1.30 in the morning. She's talking to a 15-year-old girl about how her and RJ are going to get married when they get older. I'm like, you're a stalker. Like, and Toy's like, no, no, no. See, like prearranged marriages are more successful than marrying for love. And I was like, what kind of Nazi are you? But there is a principle of back in the day when there were some prearranged marriages or families helped people pick their spouses, that there was a longer shelf life for the marriage than now in a day and age where everybody marries for love. Because now people say, well, I'm passionate about little, little Johnny. I'm passionate about Mary Sue. I'm passionate about her, so I'll commit myself to her in marriage. But then as soon as the passion wanes, the commitment wanes. But when you commit yourself to someone and say, I'm committed to you, passion follows the commitment. Here, Joshua's saying, you need to choose now who you're going to serve. Because there will be a day where it's going to seem evil to you because the world is going to get so loud and God's voice gets so still, you need to choose now which voice you're going to listen to, the loud voices or the still small voice. And your passion will follow that commitment. So this is my, my heart for you. We're going to unpack in this series some things you can do to take steps to devote yourself to following Jesus better. But the number one thing you can do is decide now to spend daily time with your Savior, your Lord, your Redeemer, your Deliverer, your Healer, your unconditional loving Father. Deciding now. My greatest gift to you as a pastor is to motivate you and inspire you to walk with Jesus. So no matter what, maybe last year you were great at following Jesus. Maybe last year you stumbled a little bit. Maybe last year was a dry year for you. Maybe last year you were lukewarm. Maybe last year was a year in which, you know, maybe you read your Bible, but you didn't really devote yourself to the Bible. Maybe last year was a year that your worship felt. Some of you, this is a word for some of you. Just real quick, this just came to me. Some of you come out of a move of the Holy Spirit in this region. They got ignited your life on fire. 
You've let the fire go out. But there's a younger generation that's waiting for somebody to spark a new fire. And that fire is on the inside of you. And the word is, it is time for you to get off your pew and quit being the old person and step up and start being a worship leader that young people can watch lead them in worship. And so these are the steps. That was a really awkward segue, by the way. But So if you have not downloaded our Bible app yet, let me get to this. How to start having devotion. Some of you, I know, you have no context. It's this simple. Make an appointment to sit with Jesus. If you'd make an appointment for a lunch date, if you'd make an appointment to go hang out with somebody, make an appointment to hang out with Jesus and set a reminder on your phone. Whether that's morning time for some of you, lunch time for some of you, dinner time for some of you, bedtime for some of you. Pick the time that you'll keep. Set an appointment with Jesus. Set a reminder. Let your phone tell you, hey, it's time for Jesus. Two, decide on a time frame. For some of you, maybe that's five minutes. The Bible reading plan we have is a five-minute Bible reading plan. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 30. Maybe it's an hour. Choose that time now. Three, choose a place where you can focus. Whether that's a chair in your living room, whether that's your bedroom, whether that's your back porch, whether that's the, you know, if you're a hunter, maybe for you that's to go outside and walk, and maybe that's your alone time with Jesus. Use a Bible reading plan or a study guide. You're not going to read your Bible if you just grab your Bible and open it. Have a plan to read your Bible that you can use, which we're giving you, and use a prayer list or a prayer guide to help. What that means is one of the greatest deficits to the church is the church no longer knows how to pray. One, the church has failed teaching people how to pray because we have worship. We use prayer as a transition rather than a focal point. That's why we try to have intercessory prayer every single service to model prayer for you. But we have some great prayer guides. We have two apps I'll show you in a second that will help you. And then be flexible. If you miss a day, you miss two days, don't get down on yourself. Just start back where you're at. When Peter failed, Jesus didn't make Peter go back to step one. He just start where you're at and do what I tell you to do. Be flexible. So here's the tools to help you get that accomplished. The Church Center app we talk about every single week. It's an amazing app. Tons of churches use it. If you have not downloaded it, I encourage you to download it today. You have to pick your church, which is We Are Chapel, in there. In there, you'll see all types of things like sermon notes every Sunday, prayer and care card. If you need prayer for anything, if care is there's a sickness in your family, surgery that's planned, hospital thing with your family or friends, we want to know. We want to pastor you through those things. That is the best way to let us know. Giving. Uh, Chapel Kids Fast Pass. You don't have to check in here. You can just go straight to check your kids in. Events and dates and registrations. And then the discipleship resources, which are these. I've picked this F260 reading plan. It's from Robbie Galati in Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It goes through 260 of the most important scriptures for a disciple to read. So maybe reading the whole Bible is a big step for you. But you can read one to two chapters a day. Five minutes to read. That is in there. We have gave you printed copies. That's in there. Uh, Two online courses. We have online courses for marriage, foundations of the faith. If you're a new believer, want to follow Jesus. We have online courses all throughout there for you, for free, and your friends to share with them. And last but not least, some prayer resources. There's two apps. There's links. There's links to the YouVersion Bible Reading Plan. There's a link to the Pray First app that Church of the Highlands has created, which is a great app. I just now started using. You can put all your prayer requests in there. You can tag them and categorize them. 
There's a couple different prayer lessons in there for you to walk through, the Lord's Prayer, the Tabernacle Prayer, some great things. There's also an app that I've been using for a little bit called the Lectio 360, uh, 365 app. What that is, 24-7 prayer is a prayer ministry in America, and it's a guided prayer app. So each day, every morning, there's a guided prayer that guides you through a prayer that prays the scriptures. Every evening, there's another guided prayer that closes your day and prays the scriptures. Those three things, the Bible reading plan and those two prayer apps, will change your life if you devote yourself to doing it. And that is my prayer, that our church, when Jesus looks at our church, he says, that is a devoted group of people. They sit at my feet, they hear my teachings, and they obey my teachings. If, if I could die and go see Jesus, and he said those three things were accomplished, I would die happy. If you would stand to your feet all over the room. If I can have our prayer team come forward. If, our prayer team, if you need prayer for anything to start this year, maybe you, you need to, to agree in prayer for your family. Maybe there's one big prayer thing in your heart. Maybe it's prayer for your body, for healing. Maybe it's prayer for your business. Maybe it's prayer for our lost son or daughter or prodigal son or daughter. Whatever it may be, we're going to end this year by letting them agree with you in prayer. But if you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for one second. You know, it's hard to devote yourself like Mary if you've never given your life to Jesus. So maybe this morning, as 2021 is closed, maybe 2022 is the year you finally start following Jesus. I'm not saying, saying yesterday, I'm saying following him. You begin to follow him and obey him and love him like he loves you. If you said, that's me, I, I wanted to start 2022 with a new outlook and a new direction in life by following Jesus. I'm not gonna have you come forward, I'm not gonna have you stand up, you're already standing up. Just want you to slip your hand right where you are. So that's me. I want to start life this year with a new focus. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you all over the room. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you for the heart of a father that just simply wants to seek and save his children. Father, for all these hands that are up, Father, no matter what their past is, no matter what the past year was, I pray for new beginnings and a fresh start. I pray that you wash their sin with blood, you wash their past with your word, and you wash their minds with your spirit. Create them a new heart and a new direction, Father. I pray that your voice becomes more clear and more loud than it's ever been before in their entire lives. Father, I pray that you draw them closer and deeper into your presence. Help them to abide in you produce the fruit of righteousness. So Father, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.